winter. Hello and welcome to What We Do in the Winter. This is the 40th episode in the series of podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gometra. In this episode, I talk with Chris Reed of Scribrua Farm, Tobermory. Chris and her late husband, Jeff, founded Isle of Mull Cheese. Chris talks about her life in England as a child, and how she and Jeff bought a farm in Somerset, and then, through seeing an advert in an English paper, noticed some land on the Isle of Mull for sale. We talk about her working life, her family life and her childhood, and how family is at the core of everything. As this podcast is sponsored in kind by Island Bakery, I of course gave Chris a box of delicious lemon melts. The one irony being that it's her son Joe who makes them. If you want to see any photos of the development of Scabrua and the cheese farm, do go and have a look at isleofmullcheese.co.uk for some great photos and stories. I'll be back at the end of the episode with a little bit more. And now, with great pleasure, I hand you over to Chris Reed. Who are you? Oh, <laughs> I'm Chris from Skibrua, and I've been there longer than I've been anywhere, but I did come from England. But I don't, I hate it when people say, where did you come from? Mm. Visitors say, where do you come from? Because you've got this English voice. Mm. It's always here. I come yeah. from here. But that's what happens anyway. You've been here for how many years now? 30, 40 years? Close on 40. 1979, we, we, we originally bought bought the place. And don't ask me why we came, because it's a very long, involved story. Well, I have to ask, why <laughs> did you come then? What, what was, what, I mean, let, let's, get, let's work up towards that then. Yeah. Um, so t- tell me, um, where were you born, Chris? I was born in Stratford-on-Avon, near, near there, in that sort of area. I have two sisters. One has, they're both older than me, but one was really poorly. Yes. And so she went to a special school where, which would be good for her. So we moved near the special school. So we went to Somerset. My mother took us to Somerset. Also, the school was run by Quakers. And at the time, that was very important to my mum. Yes. My father died when I was very tiny. I was three. And I think because she'd had various disasters, she needed that religious thing. So we yeah. went through a very strong period of wanting to belong to such a group and anyway so that was that we went to Somerset and lived there which was lovely actually really beautiful I I enjoyed my school and so on and that's and that's how I met Jeff down there really um because again a long story he was came from Manchester and he's his parents had died when he was quite small so he was left to make his way, whatever. And during that period, he made his way with an aunt who did he didn't love and she didn't love him and shut him in a cupboard and so on and so forth. But he, every holiday when he wasn't at school, he used to cycle into Scotland. They, The aunt lived in the Lake District. Right, OK. So then he cycled into Scotland through every weather and got to love Scotland and always thought one day we would live in Scotland. And then um, because he he was being made to leave school very early and he hadn't any exams, <clears throat> he wanted to um, go to university. So he thought, right, I'll stay with a family 
and whilst I'm studying and work for my keep. So he put an advert out and my aunt, who was very uh, struggling poor farmer's wife, anyway, she saw the advert of this young man who would work for nothing <laughs> as long as she fed him. And so she replied and, and, and Jeff chose them out of a lot of people because there was a granny and children and it was a family which he hadn't got. Oh, I see, right. So he went there because there were three generations of in, on, in the family. Gosh. Anyway, he went and lived there to work. I used to go every holiday to, to, to help there because I loved... She was like a second mum to me. My mother, through my childhood, had spent a lot of time going to be near this sister who was poorly. And so she, my mother used to go and work at hospitals or wherever... Jill was so during that time I would go and stay with this aunt who was lovely and with a farm which I really enjoyed and I used to help them in the holiday time I went down to to visit them as I normally did and they said there was a new student there <laughs> but have nothing to do with him they said oh it's like a red rug to a ball, isn't it? Anyway, <laughs> have nothing to do with him. He's a Marxist. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because he was reading a book about Marx. Anyway, they, they obviously thought it was completely shocking. <laughs> and did he keep it's his funny. Marxist principles up for the rest of his life? Um, yes, he was very... I don't know. He was very... He was a funny mixture of being really left-wing and wanting to be... Wanting to be... Uh, a socialist, but yes. on the other hand, he wasn't. He was a pragmatic businessman. Yes, exactly. And he needed to make a living. So, so he was a funny mixture, but very had very strong views on all sorts of things. Yeah, that's lovely to hear yeah. at the start of his life. Would in such a way to know that at the end of his life, there he is at the bosom of yeah. a, a very large and very loving family. Oh, he was the family was everything. Everything yeah. it really was. We were so lucky. Well, the whole thing was so lucky coming here. Yeah. We were so lucky. Um, How did you when, hear about it? Oh, well, when I met him and fell in love and we were married quite soon and I started a baby quite soon mm. and then another one and another one. <laughs> and one more for John. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we we had to make a living. So we... Yeah. we he, because his parents had died when he was youngster, had inherited a very small amount of money. So with that, we were able to buy a, an old farm house with with ten acres, and we he, he want we wanted to make our living on the land. You see, was that in Somerset as well? Yes, because my mother lived was was there, and she I was very close to her, and yeah. I didn't want to leave her. So we did it then. We were bogged down. We got bogged down with having to make a living, having children, working hard. And first of all, we had hens and pigs. And then eventually we got into being able to um, rear heifer calves. And then one year, the market dropped out of the heifer calf business. We couldn't sell in calf heifers, you see. So Jeff said, oh, well, we'll milk them then. He, he was just like that. He would. He was full of optimism and courage, and it seemed to be no problem. 
<laughs> to jump in there and milk 90 heifers that are all being put in calf together. Oh my goodness, 90. So, well, we, we, we were rearing heifers. We'd, we'd bought a bit more land and we were rearing heifers to sell as down calvers. Right. But then when we couldn't sell them, he thought, right, we'll milk them. How many of a staff did you have to milk 90? Oh, no, just us. But, 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 but the thing that the thing was that we didn't really know we didn't really know what we were jumping into. Yeah. And and all our neighbours who were dyed in the wool farmers and had been doing it for generations and so on, they thought we were completely off our you know. But we're always he was always very innovative yeah. and looking sideways. And if he had a problem he would always look for another solution or there must be another way yeah. of doing things how did you sell that milk because presumably that part of the world there was enough there well, was supply how well, did you find was, a gap in the market it was it was really well this is the problem it was really really tough there was at that time there was a milk milk lake in europe it was in the 70s yes. early 70s butter mountain milk lake and that was, of course, why the, they, the heifers were, had not been worth any money because, you know, the milk no was hard that. to sell. Yeah. Anyway, so we thought if we work hard, we'll be okay. And we really worked hard. We milked three times a day ourselves. And it was, it was tough going. And we worked very hard and, and struggled on. And... I mean, after a few years and of, the, of going on like this, he saw an advert in the Farmers Weekly of a little bit of land and a derelict cottage on Mull. <laughs> and because we were in a in a sort of tight tight rope of you know we were in a in a, a knot of having to work hard having to run fast to keep up with the on a treadmill if you like yeah and you couldn't stop it was like oh wouldn't that be wonderful <laughs> wouldn't it be just a nice quiet life and just, <laughs> uh, well yeah wouldn't it be heaven and so we we <laughs> we came up and this was a a, a British paper, I mean, an English paper. Yeah. And we came up and it was a misty, misty, well, just like today. Yeah. This kind of weather. Yeah. A misty day. And the grass was was all dewy and long and we, we couldn't, we didn't see it an awful lot, but it was Johnny Sinclair who had it. Anyway, so we bought it from him and the check bounced. Oh, God. Uh, anyway, it was all. It was only because Jeff had done it without telling the bank. You know, okay, right, right. Because it was always a struggle. And anyway, we he, we were determined it would all go through, and it did. It all went through in the end. And then, so we used to come up with. We brought five calves to put on this bit of land. How many acres was it at that point? Um, it was St Mary's and a bit of Ballaskate. So I can't remember exactly. Maybe forty, maybe. Okay. I don't know, but so acres. Are, you can't think of in terms of acres here, can you? No, You're, it's the lot of different types of land, it, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. It's not. It was a bit at Ballasgate, which was nice, and a bit at St Mary's, which was nice, and a shed and a, uh, a cottage in Victoria Street. 
And so we used to come up and camp with the children in the shed. And we brought five calves. There was a very nice man um, who, Callum, he looked after the calves for us. And he said, bring a spade to bury them. Ah, right, okay. Because, (laughs) well, they didn't die, thank God. Because... Best they, to be prepared. They came young. Yeah. And so they got acclimatised to the ticks and so on, you know. Um, but I always remember that he said, bring a spade. So we came, used to come up and, and camp in the shed. We used to cut bracken to sleep on and sleep all together with our hats and clo- coats and gloves on, tight together. And we had a red lorry mm-hmm. that we travelled up and down in. And whilst we there... One day, sunny morning, we walked up the road from St Mary's opposite Margaret and Dennis Broad's house. Lovely. Anyway, that's where the land was. So we And then we walked up from there, up the road, and it was a beautiful morning, and we walked along and found a fan, this fantastic... It was just a... We went up to, up to the ruin of Skiborough, and and it was just a... a Fell in love with it. Yeah. A wow feeling. And But there was somebody digging in the garden, or somebody had been digging in the garden, and Jeff said, don't look at that, because somebody already has it. So we went back home. Yeah. Have I told you? I haven't told you this before, have I? No. 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 Anyway. Anyway, so we went back home. We had to go back home to England, to Somerset. Anyway, three months later, Jeff was looking in the paper again and he saw it for sale, which was absolutely, it was like unbelievable. It was completely wow, wow. amazing. Yeah, yeah. So obviously we thought that was... <laughs> During our time of coming up to camp and and stay in... in Sleeping in the in the obviously we done I'd go down to the shop and buy stuff. Sometimes there wasn't any milk. Sometimes it was ah. pretty old milk. Sometimes the seagulls had pecked it because it come in as freight. Yeah, yeah. Which is what it did then. Where um, did it come from at that point? Was it from the mainland? Or well, from... from the mainland. Yes, there was one or two people producing milk. Like, well, Jeremy Matthew was he was producing milk. I think yes, at that, that time. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, and somebody from Pennygowan, I think. Okay. Or somewhere down there. Right. Anyway, there wasn't enough. Um, it was always uh, the co- the co-op milk came in from outside. But anyway, Jeff and I knew that we could actually. We knew about that. There was milk. a gap in the market. We knew about producing milk, and at that time they had brought in legislation that it had to be pasteurized. Yes, Tim mentions this when I spoke to him. Yes. Because it was upsetting for them. Yeah. Because they were they had started their production, but they were not yeah. pasteurising. It was just law. Yeah. So there was not, not a lot you could do about it. No, no, it. totally. So we decided that we would, we would do it commercially, if you like. Yeah. It didn't happen like that at the beginning. We just did it small to start with. Yeah. We just had five cows to start with. And what were they? Were they jerseys? Uh, they... No, 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 no. They were just they were just commercial cows that we had. Right, they okay. were, uh, you know, they were 
cows that had carved with us in, in England. Because remember, we had a farm in England and yeah. it was a horrible dilemma because we had to sell up. Yes. But also quotas came in. It's very involved and difficult. Quotas came in at the same time. We yeah. didn't have a quota here. We yeah. had one in England, but we couldn't bring it. There was no mechanism for bringing it. And it would come into a different country. Yeah. Regard, they regarded it as. Yes, yes. An, an enclosed ring fence quota yeah. that was here then. It's a long time ago. And, and when, it was difficult. Am I right in remembering that the two of the boys came up first? Yes, because we couldn't leave. We couldn't... We couldn't come straight away, and they had they left school, Matthew and, and Garth, and poor Brendan had to stay slogging away at home. Gosh! So the the younger two, Matthew and Garth, came up, and we bought a few cows, and we put the roof on the byre, often leaving Brendan behind to look after down in England. And did you and stay in the byre then yourself? So were you in the house at Scarborough by that point? No, 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 no. We no. It was in the byre for the, there was a sort of roof bit that people could sleep in. <laughs> wow. Um, but we didn't. When you when you're that age, when you're young, you can you don't worry about. I mean, I didn't. When you're forty, I was about forty. Yeah. Just well, I suppose just before forty. And you feel you can do anything, which you, you know, and we didn't worry about anything. I didn't worry that I left my 11-year-old down in England for a while. Yeah. And then when he came up here to school, I didn't worry that, he, that I was in England and he was stuck here. This is Joe. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, was he was sent up and to go to school and he had to do the cooking and the washing for his brothers and... Right, gosh. I know. It. I mean, work. when you think about it now, I think to myself, you know, <laughs> wicked woman. <laughs> I think he's done it fairly well. I think it's okay. But it was like, it was like an outward bound school, you know. Right. Yeah. It was. But they, they did have some awful happenings. They had the roof blow off, <laughs> Matthew and Garth. They had the, but everyone was so lovely. And, the you know, the ladies in the town used to leave... Drop scones on the wall when they delivered milk, and you know, yeah. mend their trousers, and <laughs> that's fantastic. They had a great time. Yeah, so, everyone was so sweet. So you start um, delivering milk as well. Yes, right? well, yes. Garth did the work, and Matthew knocked on the doors. Well, I mean, they both did the work, but Garth was in charge of the milking, and Matthew knocked on the doors and delivered the milk, and. And we just thought it was no problem. And then eventually the increase was quite quick because, of course, as soon as there was a regular milk, then it increased quite quickly. Yes. And then when we came up, when we eventually sold up and were able to come up all together, then we could really supply the co-op, which we did. Yes. And we could, if they they never ran out because... If they they would ring up and we would go down with some more, yeah. and so we decided right from the beginning that we would never say, "Sorry, guys, we haven't got it today," or "We haven't got enough." So, if you're doing it like that, a lot of the time you've got too much. Yes. Yeah. And 
So we knew also right from the beginning that when we had too much, then we'd make cheese. Ah. So I'd already, um, we'd already planned it in when we were in England and we were in a cheese making area. So I'd gone for lessons. We'd picked up a bit of equipment like big, you know, ideas. Well, no, it wasn't a big vat. It was like a big saucepan. Oh, right, okay. Or a bucket, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, literally a bucket. First of all, we had a bucket, and then we had a few churns. And I used to rush through, you know, to stirring one round, and then you go to another one and stir it. You know when you see spinning spinning things on plates on yes. sticks, and yeah, you yeah, have yeah. to go to the other one and give it a tweak. Yeah. The churn business was a bit like that. You have arm in the churn, stir that, and then go and stir oh the next gosh. one. You have to turn it for two hours. So. Oh, my goodness, two hours. <laughs> well, on I top of everything else you're doing that day. Also, that did not last long. <laughs> I soon got fed up with that. Why, why, why? <laughs> I soon got fed up with that. Yeah. Um, but, but, I mean, we didn't have, when we... At one time, there was no where to do it but outside the door of the buyer in the rain. Yeah. So with a, an umbrella, and we had a lovely God, half hard. circular vat, which went on for years, actually. And it was about 50 gallons, I suppose. And that was nice. And you could stir it comfortably. And so I used to stir it umbrella in one hand and stir it the other. But that And that was good. And that vat went on for quite a long time. And I think I made che- three cheeses out of that. Wow. Um, what were they? Were they all the cheese? Well, yes, because they were always hard cheese because there were no fridge vans. Of course not. Nothing like that. Yeah. And so at first we made actually s- sort of maybe 10 poundish, no, yes, something like that, 10 poundish truckles. But that didn't last long. We soon made a big, you know, big ones because we brought with us one or two big moulds and a cheese press from Somerset. And so we made um, one or two big cheeses and eventually, uh, and they they lasted a long time and they can keep a long time. That's the whole idea. And cheese like that can keep a long time and you can sell it later matured yes so you can make it in the autumn sell it in the spring and and then we had about six that we'd saved up and we put it in our milk van we first of all went to glasgow obviously and edinburgh and we took some samples right and they they to mellis and places like that. no yes but no he wasn't in operation then he wasn't working then I can't remember who it was. We, anyway, they no, nobody liked it because it was too strong for them. Okay. They were not what they were used to. So because my sister lives in the south, we just kept going south. And eventually we we arrived in a shop in Reading. We took in a sample and he bought it all that we had. On wow. The, so that was great. But it, but you could do that with, a, you know, because that kind of cheese will travel without yeah. any fridge. Yeah. So that's why it's traditional. Yeah. And if you think of all the islands, they, they traditionally, they made Orkney hard cheese, yeah. Aran hard cheese, yeah. Isla yeah. hard cheese. They made that kind of cheese because of that reason. Or the very, very soft cheese, like crowdy, that you could have almost immediately. Yes, but that's an instant thing, and that's yeah. what you'd eat yeah. in your croft house. Yes. So that's a completely different yeah. kettle of fish. Yeah. And that doesn't last. Yeah, I mean, no, not at all. No, you eat it straight away. Yeah. yeah. 
And that was made with coagulated milk that was coagulated due to the bacteria, you know, that was in the air sort of thing. Sour milk, if you like, but nice sour milk. Yes. Nice sour. So how did the business start to scale up? How did you scale the cheese side of things up? We delivered milk for 15 years. So we delivered to Iona, to it went to Colin Tyree. And, yes, it, and yeah. of course, the disaster was when that boat stopped calling in. Yeah. And um, a bit to Loch Island. You know, so we, we, we gradually got more and more and more yeah. milk and more and more and more cows because that's what you do. You, you yeah. have to... Scale. Uh, yes. But the pasteurising was hard going buzzing and machinery and the actual it was actually hard having to make sure that that, that milk was out in the shops in the ne- the next day and the cartoning machine was second hand and right. it, it needed someone standing there with a spanner because you could turn it on and it wouldn't behave the same way as it did the day before you know That's all very these kinds of things. Yeah. yes and you needed uh, brendan had to keep it going and he was fantastic, yeah. you know. It was very demanding. So Jeff made the decision that that we had got to the point when we could actually risk it and put it all into cheese, and wow. then we wouldn't need to pasteurise it. We wouldn't. So we didn't dare tell anyone that we were going to do that because the minute we'd have told the co-op we're going to stop next week or whenever it was, they would have stopped. The week the next before, day, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. We had to keep it to ourselves. Yeah. And then when we actually did stop and there was no milk, suddenly everyone thought that the cows must have died or were poorly or... You know what it's like. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they were on fire. I saw the cows on fire. Yeah. 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 I've almost forgotten that, that and, that's what they thought. But anyway. And I remember when I talked to Janet, she talked about your protest against the co-op as well. Oh, yes. Could you say a little bit about that, if that's appropriate, if that's uh, okay? Well, it was it was a matter of life or death, really, because they were our big, huge customer. Yeah. We, 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 ha- we, couldn't, we couldn't lie down under that. Suddenly, one day, they're not buying milk from us. We had all our cows. We had all the... We couldn't... It couldn't happen like that, so we couldn't allow it. <laughs> How did you protest? What did you do? Oh, well, we would have taken the whole herd down. down, And, of course, Jeff threatened that. Wow. He threatened the head office with that. We took the cows, a cow, a very friendly one, and a calf, and we walked up and down the street. And because our jobs, our whole livelihood depended on it. Yeah. They just sprung it on us. You know, yeah, suddenly yeah. one day, we're not going to buy from you tomorrow. And so... We couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't let that happen. Was that the eighties? Do you know? I can't remember. Right. Like, it could have been. Well, it was no, it might have been nineties. Really? Yes. So how because did you come to... we didn't, we stopped mill, we stopped doing the in two thousand. Right. That's okay. when we went all to, all to cheese. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it was two thousand. So it must have been during the nineties. It was when Sheila will remember she because mm. it was when she came. She came to milk the cows. Did she? Yes, as a, for a job. The minute she arrived, I knew she, I knew she was lovely and that, and and became my very good friend. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, and they've all done well. Yeah. They're all brilliant. Well, no, it's, it, 
I'm very, I'm very, it's, it's lovely. And having had Chloe's wedding this weekend, it's been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, so that was the story of it, really. But it was so, I think it would be very hard for people, what was easy for us that was that we could start in a small way. Yeah. And that was the lucky thing. I think that would be very hard to do it now uh, because yeah. because of the environmental health yep, yep. officers. And and I was making cheese outside in the rain. <laughs> I mean <laughs> Yes. So you you know, you don't do <laughs> you've got to have it all set up. Yeah. So it's very hard now. And in terms of the business, what what point did uh, chefs and people in the public eye start to champion the business? Well, we were very lucky in that some, I've forgotten the man's name, there was somebody who used to come to Ardner Merkin, I think, who was a very keen agricultural writer. Right. He wrote a little article about us arriving, and I think in the Financial Times or somewhere right. strange like that. Gosh. So that, as soon as you get a little bit of exposure, then somebody else sees it. Yes. We didn't. We didn't try very hard. It just happened. We yeah. were lucky. I think you have to have a bit of luck. Yes. Uh, and um, but luck comes from doing things yes, very but, often. But, yes, but because okay, because we were brave and we'd come and we were optimistic and so on. Then he'd written this article about us doing, you know, bringing all our the, our children and the farm and so on and so forth. And then somebody else reads it and then they. You know, they come and we were doing it in a quaint way. I don't think it was just scenic. And so we got a bit of exposure. What was the thrill for me was actually making something and then people wanting it and yeah. and, and buying it and eating it and liking it. And yeah. that was, well, anybody, anybody who makes, makes anything, whatever they, I mean, it must be lovely for you when you know people read and hear what you're... Yeah, yeah. Because it... There's a fundamental need that we have, which is to contribute. Yes. I think, and that's, uh, and to be valued. Yes. And I think that's, when you create something and it's valued, it's um, it's yes. priceless. It's absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it's, it gives you huge satisfaction. Yeah. Yes. It's nothing to do with money or, no, not, God, no. you know, it's nothing to do with that. It's just the sheer thing of, of producing something, creating something yeah. that somebody wants. It's valued. Yes. Yeah. I was going back through uh, I collect cookery books although I have to stop because I don't have enough space yeah. but um, I found Nick Nairn, Nairn's Guide to Scottish Cookery uh-huh. one of his uh, books from the early I think it was late 90s or 2000s and it talks about the Isle of Malchies and it, yeah, and it, I know. it champions it it's all that kind of thing it's yeah. fantastic and and it's, you can't you can't buy that kind of no. exposure it's just yeah. you know sheer sheer luck really yeah so since since you um, stepped down from doing the cheese yourself, although you're still involved, aren't you? Well, I like to know what's going. <laughs> I still like to know what's going on. But I'm really, I I do think that they, particularly now, and we're so sad that we've lost Neil. Um, but oh. Brendan's making it now, and and it's it's great because yeah. everybody has something to c- contribute, and he's changed a lot and got making a better product. I think. Mm. And that's how it should be. It should get changed and get better and do different things as, as, as time goes on. It's an organic product. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's right. It is. Oh, and living. Yeah. Full of, full of bacteria. 
<laughs> totally. Wait, good ones. Yeah, yeah positive. Yeah. Yeah. So let's pull back focus now and go back maybe uh, to talk t- about your family. So you mentioned earlier on about your father passing away when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Is it okay to say a little bit about that? What happened yes. there? Well, well, we, we he was a a, a, a farmer in near Stratford on Avon mm-hmm. and uh, a tenant farmer. He was very hardworking, but go ahead. And I can certainly remember making, he made silage, which was, in those days was just unbelievable. Really? It must have been, yes, well, I suppose it would be, during the war, I think they, they talked about it a bit and they championed, you know, doing yeah. that kind of thing. But he was, um, he was a great horseman. And of course we had horses. He used to ride his horse every day and... Yeah, but unfortunately, he was asthmatic. Oh no! The medication wasn't wasn't great, and he had an, an asthma attack and died. So then, my mother, who had no qualification or doing anything else, if you like, yes. she was left with three little children and no money to have to make a living. So yeah. she um, did all sorts of things, all you know, tea rooms, cleaning. Anything. Well, people could you do anything, couldn't you? To buying and selling junk also. Really? Which has hung on with me all my <laughs> life. So I have a lot of junk. This is <laughs> lovely furnishings. These are yes, all nice but, furnishings. <laughs> but I have a lot of junk, which is <laughs> I can't resist old things. I love them all. So you talked about your mum being part of the Quaker faith. Was she raised within the Quaker no, faith? No, no, she wasn't. But because she'd had a sad I think she just um, it was a crutch that yes she, yeah. it was and then my sister died the, the one oh, who God. was ill she died when she was 15 oh, so so you know it so was sorry. like one thing after the other yeah so um, my the... grandparents were farmers Hi. and they were very strongly strong church goers too my mother's father they hand milked they milked and they hand milked and they made butter and cheese Really? And they, yes, and they used to sell the cheese. I think it was probably Stilton, and they sold it through in a horse and cart, you know, through the, around the towns in the thirties, you know, through the depression. They went out and selling for very little money, but they were they were very hardworking family. And then my other grandfather on the other side, his farm was taken for an airfield right, during okay. the war, so he he ended up with a little bit of land, but not a proper big farm. But we still used to love going there and going up to the hovel, as he called it, <laughs> at the end of the field, yeah. and where he kept a cow, and he would milk the cow and squirt it directly into your mouth if you sat beside him with your mouth open. <laughs> That's lovely. Yeah, and he kept guinea fowl. I always remember the sound of the guinea fowl. Oh, they're such stupid birds. Well, they, no, they were lovely. <laughs> they are lovely, but they can be very mean. We had them as well. Oh, really? Really bully chickens. Can they? Oh, God, I mean, oh, one that was a right pain in the arse. Oh, I <laughs> didn't awful. know that. But they're very tasty as well. Yeah, so I just remember the call of them and calling, come back, come back. Yeah. yeah. So this grandfather as well, you're saying he was a bit of a character? He was a great character. His grandchildren used to love to go and stay with him, but we were only allowed to go two at a, two at a time because he couldn't manage more than that. He put rice pudding on as soon as he got up at five o'clock, so oh. it was always ready, maybe 11. Every day we had rice pudding about 11 o'clock, and he had no teeth. So um, another naughty thing he did was put the eggshell, after we'd had hard-boiled eggs, 
he could blow the shell across the room, and which we all cheered and loved. But we loved to go out with him in his horse, horse and trap to market and um, do all the things that country people do. It was great, good fun. His other daughter, there was two, three of them, his other daughter had married into a Leicestershire shoe. You know, they made shoes in Leicester. Okay. Anyway, they made boots and shoes. Anyway, so they had made a lot of money, and that was where my I first saw a television and things like that. Goodness me. And they used to send the chauffeur to collect my grandfather for, for Sunday lunch, and he was always come home with leftover food and custard and things to shame them, you know. <laughs> so he'd come home with all the, all the leftovers, the doggy bag to come last him all week. Goodness. He was a funny man. He, we loved him, though. We really loved him. Who would you say when you were growing up is was the most significant character in in the formation of who you've become? Oh, my mother, really. Why is that? Um, well, I was quite close to her. We used to, yeah, I was quite close to her. My other, my sisters, one, the eldest one died, and yeah. then my other sister had she had asthma. It was and and she was away quite a lot. But anyway, I was very close to my mother. She could do anything. For instance, if the ceiling fell down, she would she would say to herself, well, I could do that, I'll do that. And she would get up there and, and replaster it. Or she would, um, we had such, we used to laugh about when we were like putting up the wallpaper. I mean, she could turn her hand to all sorts. Yeah. And she had a little pottery at one time because she liked doing that. She used to paint and she'd try anything. She would try anything. Um, but she was she was really, really good, a, a big influence in my life in that she was a good example. Yeah. Someone who yeah. can do it. If you yeah. believe you can do it, you do it. And did she see what you achieved here in Mull? No, not we, what we achieved, but she knew we were coming and, and I we didn't move. We didn't actually move here till she till she died because she had cancer right. but but she was always um she knew we were coming and she came up to here to camp with us really yes and i remember her walking across the river at ballasgate yeah she was very game woman very yeah. game she would be very happy to see us being here and i'm very lucky that i have all my family here so lucky and i think well of course if you come to a ruin and like the, the the young lads, they were young, enthusiastic young men, and they put the roof on. They did the, all the building. They yeah. made the place. And if you make, put all your effort into something like that, then it's yours. Yeah, it's your place. Yeah, you've written yourself into it. Yes, yeah. that's right. But I am the most fortunate person, the most fortunate granny anyone could be. <laughs> In light of that, I'm thinking of, of all that the family have achieved. Because if you look, you know, the boys have done remarkable things. Oh, we haven't achieved remarkable things, really, Alistair. Not really. Do you not think so? No, I think we've... We... No. We, we've, we've lived and we've enjoyed a good life here, I would say. I mean, we've had... We've met so many wonderful people and people who come back, you know, like, yeah. for instance, for Chloe's wedding this weekend, people coming from across the world yeah. who have worked here and, and we regard as really good friends. Well, yeah. they are really good friends and we're like a sort of big family together, yeah. you know. 
And I think that's when you're on an island, really. It's like being on a ship, you know. Yeah. That you, you're all together. It's not a huge achievement. It's just a happy time that we've had. And, um, but I love them see, to see them all together. And it's great. Yeah. And if you were to say, uh, reflecting on life here in Mull itself, how do you think Mull has changed in the, the 40 years that you've been on the Oh, long, yes, it's changed a lot. There's been lots of people come and people go. Yeah. And and you sort of know the ones that are going to stay. Everywhere has to grow and there's nothing more sure than change. And I don't think change is, is a bad thing. Usually it's... It's good, and it, what's so wonderful is to see young people and the wee ones and the school blossoming. I mean, how great is that? And it, we want to keep it vibrant and, yeah. That was one of Jeff's saying, there's nothing she's sure as change. Thank you so much, Chris. It was just great to spend time with you. I really appreciate it. We didn't get a chance to go into Chris's travels in this chat, but over the last few years, Chris and family have been working with a community in Nepal to help rebuild after an earthquake struck. I've put a link to an article about this in the notes of the episode, which you can find on whatwedointhewinter.com. It's extraordinary work and very admirable indeed. Thank you to those of you who reach out to say hello, and to those of you who give me more information about things. It's Always brilliant to hear from you. Much appreciated. If you want to support the podcast, you can spread the word, leave a review on whichever platform you listen on, or if you felt able to or wanted to, you can make a donation via PayPal. On that note, thank you so much to Christine. Cheers. As ever, thanks so much for listening. Shinakate. Morantang.